everyone. Welcome to the A Life of Education podcast. So today we're here with Marianne Tafani. You're one of the teachers at Pilates Academy and you've developed this amazing pre and postnatal course. Uh, I don't know if it's amazing, but I'm very <laughs> passionate about it. So one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you onto the podcast was obviously to talk about your story. You have this amazing story as to why you decided to really specialize in helping women recover pre and postnatally. Um, yeah, I've, I've had quite a personal um, story related to the creation of the course and I think it's it's always the same um, and you're passionate about something but then a personal experience come, comes along and uh, you get more passionate about it. Yeah, especially when you're attached to attached to the story and attached to the reasons why um like obviously everyone knows I've had my own story as well and when I hear other people going through similar things it really like pulls on my heartstrings I really want to help I really understand and I sympathize and I have a lot of like a lot of feeling towards what they're going through because I've been through the same thing so tell us about um what happened and and how you ended up here um, here, here. <laughs> um, so, um, so I got pregnant unexpectedly, and I was teaching then quite heavy hours. I would say a good forty hours a week. What were you um, teaching? I was teaching Pilates. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I had always been passionate about the core, um, but then, and I thought of myself as an athlete. I already had some injuries uh, that had led me to invest in Pilates, but I had no idea what what was coming my way. And I think um, the I had a very complicated birth, uh, hence the very complicated recovery. Um, it took me a, a good year to to walk properly, and um, I felt so unsupported by. Uh, the medical uh, the medical staff that I didn't want my friends, clients, moms to go through that. So I really decided to start um, getting the knowledge that I needed, also trying to understand what ha- what had happened to me and seeing how I could turn it into something that would be helpful for others. Uh, trying to I think we all we always try to find meaning in whatever bad experience happens to us and um, and I think that was, that's the meaning I found. I, I just want to be there for those, I mean, try to protect them and also try to support them. Dubai is such a lonely place when it comes to becoming a parent. Um, some of us don't have family uh, coming to visit. So I think it's very important to have people who know what they're doing and also help you recover at that specific time. Yeah, if you don't mind me asking, what was your <laughs> pregnancy like? What happened that made it complicated? Uh, the pregnancy itself wasn't uh, too complicated, I would say. I mean, I had PSD, pubic symphysis dysfunction, which is very common in people who are super yeah. lax. But just because it's prevalent doesn't mean it's not um, it's not painful. painful. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I've seen I, some women that can barely walk with it. Oh, I could barely put pre- yeah. I mean, so just just so our, our listeners understand do you want to explain to everybody what that is exactly um pubic symphysis dysfunction is when your pubic bone um i wouldn't say spreads out but like expands under the the effect of hormones uh and for some women it creates um sharp pain that goes down the leg uh but so you you could not turn in bed for instance really hard or when you get out of the car any abduction is going to be extremely painful and I remember that in the end of my pregnancy when I was still teaching quite a lot 
I was on my foot, my left foot. I couldn't load it <laughs> at all. So walking was painful. Um, yeah, it's that single leg stance, s- yeah, moving from one um, foot to the other foot. I wasn't exactly waddling because um, I, I was blessed uh, not to put on too much weight, but I think I was really limping. Um, and so it was not particularly comfortable, but I, I think I had always been in a in a lot of pain that's why I came to Pilates originally uh, I used to be a rhythmic gymnast um, and we weren't supported by funnily enough back then as well um, medical staff we didn't have physios we didn't have anyone to help us so we were doing 30 hours a week <laughs> of training and had no one even massage us or uh, prepare us um, so I guess we all had a lot of injuries and we were used to it um, so pain was not too much of an issue. I think what was tricky during my pregnancy was probably more the emotional aspect of it. Um, and um, and you, like the fact that you want to feel healthy and powerful and like nothing's changing when everything is changing. So I was going to this, at, like a couple of times I tried a few prenatal yoga classes and it was all like two movements and 90 minutes and I really felt like as an, an athlete as a, someone who loves movement I felt quite restricted um, and then we found out that my baby had a deformity so I think it was all quite hectic already before even the birth um, and I think now I really feel like when my when my clients come in they want to have a workout particularly if they're first time mothers and they don't know what's coming they have two main concerns they want to stay fit and um, they don't want to put on too much weight. Okay, so yeah. that would be free. <laughs> they don't want to put on too much weight. That's absolutely true. And um, and they want a good birth. Mm. They want to, like, they're completely paralyzed at the idea of it all. It's, it's, so a, it's a frightening idea. Sorry, Keith, but it's, <laughs> such, a, it's <laughs> such a frightening <laughs> idea for women. I'll, I'll chime in whenever I can. Yeah. So some, sometimes just, we have guests it? on and I am zip silent because I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Um, and yeah, now you'll come in handy when we <laughs> talk about PTSD. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll wait. Thank you. I'll wait patiently. Um, so I was going to say to you, so how did you explain to us what happened during your birth and how that was unique? Um, oh, where do I start? So it was all fine when I was at home. But you, you sorry to interrupt you yeah. there. Did you decide to have a natural birth or a C-section? Oh no, no, no. I decided to have a natural birth, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's from what I see I've, I've met very few ladies who want elective c-sections and my baby was positioned in the right way and um, I was just a bit concerned about my table because I had broken it when I was 13 but the doctor um, said it was fine and so like I was like I'm gonna do this and I had always been told I had wide hips for my frame so I was like yay <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be amazing I'm gonna be amazing I'm a I'm a sports person I'll handle it and um so I only everything I'm telling you is what I realize now I I realized that I had back labor but I had no idea so as long as I was home I was fine because I was mobile uh, but you know there's that fear here that you can't deliver at home and I started having quite uh, regular contractions so I was like we need to go home my mom was like it's every two minutes let's go let's go um and my mom herself had delivered very quickly so I was <laughs> I was really hopeful um I thought it was going to be exactly the same so we get to the hospital and they put me on my back which I had always been told was bad but you know you want to be a good patient I think you 
you know your well-being depends on them and you have a survival kind of instinct where you know the medical staff is they have to like you i mean i'm sure you went through something similar mm -hmm. uh, with yeah. your experience so I, was, I wanted to please them so i stayed on my back but it felt very uncomfortable they said oh it's just to monitor you for 10 minutes and they forgot about me for a good 45 and if you have back labor and you're on your back you cannot breathe um so so what what it, it took a while and i was there for five hours struggling uh getting Almost struggling to breathe to breathe okay there's constant contractions i was trying to move i was trying to go in the bathtub but they hadn't said the temperature right so it was just a, a lot of things that i had hoped would help me and were not and i could not breathe um did you have a doula present or no, a midwife and that's honestly if anyone listens to this and is pregnant uh, that's what i recommend to all my moms mm. i really think that particularly as your partner the first time cannot be on all fronts and they don't know what's happening. They don't as know well. what they're doing either. You need Nick, a really strong he woman. Really, he saved our mm. life. Don't get me wrong, but he—you can't be buffering the buffer with the medical um, staff and at the same time be massaging your wife. I mean, they're not superheroes either. You know, they, they have to have a specific role. It's either one or the other. And I really think a doula, a woman who guides you and tries to make sure that your res your preferences are respected is um is a great addition to a first time birth or to a birth following a traumatic experience so i know for like i think you're a bit concerned when you're an instructor and you know you're not going to make money for the months that you're out that you're gonna you, you don't want to be spending too much and i think i didn't realize how much i would be spending on my recovery and and i felt like maybe i'm being too um, I don't know, I'm, ex I'm asking too much from my partner by asking for a doula, so I didn't, uh, I didn't choose to have a doula, but I should have, mm. for sure, she definitely would have helped. I don't think you hear bad stories with doulas, because yeah. there's someone else looking after yeah, you. Yeah, especially if you choose someone that you have a really good rapport with, and somebody that you can connect with, I think the important thing about a doula or having a midwife there is that they're really they understand the experience and they know what they need to do to make that experience more meaningful for you and more comfortable and looking out for your well-being as opposed to and this is not to discredit the medical community whatsoever but a lot of the time it's like we have this agenda it goes a b and c and d and none of that has to do with who you are as an individual and as a person it just has everything to do with putting you through this machine that gets you in and out of that hospital as quickly as possible that, as opposed to as quickly as possible yeah, as opposed to are you okay and do you want this and do you feel comfortable or is this working for you so it's a very different different system and from what I've heard, having a, a midwife or a doula there is, is so beneficial to a lot of other women. Mm -hmm. So, going, yeah. moving no, on. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, but that's an important point. So, um, I, I'm pleased you explained a little bit more about it. Um, yeah, so moving on, when I the midwife came in after and she, so they examine you. I didn't want to be examined originally because I didn't want to freak out. Uh, but then she told me that I had basically in five hours moved one centimeter. She was like, oh, you're yeah, good for... And I was like, I'm dying here. I'm not breathing. So I was like, what would you offer me? And she offered me opiates. I was like, I told you I wanted the most natural birth possible. I don't want to drug my baby. What else? 
And instead of offering me gas, which she offered later on, she offered me an epidural. And I have issues with anesthesia. For some reason, even when I have, I always have tooth issues. Um, I don't know what's wrong or if they did their job, job poorly, but it didn't work. And it also made it worse because in a way I had given, you know, you really feel strongly about your preferences. And I felt like, oh, I've given this away, this power away, the power to walk during my labor for no comfort. Um, so I still felt everything. It was just maybe a bit more mellow, like a bit slow down. Um, and then after two hours more, I, I said, please help me out. Uh, so she gave me gas and in one hour, just from the power of breathing, I was ready. And that's when that midwife decided to go on the lunch break. Um, I didn't realize back then. And she was like, oh yeah, we'll push in an hour. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then after, after half an hour, I'm like, I'm so sorry. You need to call them. Like they, I felt the urge. And that's when, um, and that's when I think uh, it, it got out of hand because um, they let me push for hours, which is not something that you would do in any civilized country like I know that back at home I found out after 45 minutes they schedule a procedure and they were texting my doctor and it was a Saturday so I guess it wasn't convenient for her to come in but I had been in labor for for almost 15 hours then and and uh, and not the easy kind so um my baby could have gotten in distress I mean and at that point, at some point, that midwife sat down and started writing her notes. And I was like, I'm never going to make it. I was pushing and pushing. And I can see the head. I can see the head for four hours. And what I didn't realize then is that my husband, who had done the hypnobirthing classes with me, uh, went and yelled at them in the corridor. I didn't hear any of that. I was in my, in my thing. I was like, come go get out and uh and uh and yeah and that's um that's how he saved us because honestly i don't know how my baby and i didn't die <laughs> what happened what, what did your husband do what happened he went to talk to them and asked for the for the doctor to come in he said uh, the texting is not enough she needs a procedure i remember having 10 people in that room watching me and nothing was happening they were just letting me push but four hours it was just mad so um, just so people understand and i know this is going into things that are a little bit personal for you it's, but it's okay. you had a lot of did one of the muscles in your pelvic floor rupture After, um so only during forceps so when that when that doctor came in mm -hmm. she said oh there's no time to numb you now mm -hmm. uh we have to go we have to go ahead and, and do it. So they did a forceps, but if you um, if a forceps is performed on you and you're not numb, I mean, it's like somebody is extracting your bowels, so it feels extremely painful. And I think that's how one of the muscle got disinserted. On top of, of course, there was a, a major episiotomy for the, the instruments to go in. But yeah, the that muscle got ripped off and it's the puborectalis, uh, for those of you who are keen on anatomy. And that's the muscle that supports your organs. So it's a very important muscle um, to work on to make sure that con there are no continence issues and that there's control of all the functions there. But the thing is, I didn't discover that until, I mean, I didn't find out about it until I met another doctor maybe seven months into it. And I just, I realized something was wrong when I went to see a physio and she was making me contract to find, um, uh, yeah, to find my pelvic floor again. And when I would release the muscle, there would be a, an incredibly painful spasm. 
And she was like, I don't know what's going on, no. And she was like, pretty much giving me the look like you're traumatized, that's why. Uh, and I know my body really well because, I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a sports person. I have a lot of interception. So I was like, there's something that's not functioning. And luckily, I found a good gynecologist who identified that. But that the woman who delivered, who did, who delivered my baby saw me five weeks after, checked my scar, and that's it. And if I hadn't asked for a referral for pelvic floor rehabilitation, nothing would have happened. And she didn't check internally. Um, neither the, the how the muscles were doing, but or their functionality, nor their functionality, which is the most important thing, as we know. So yeah, um, and and obviously a forceps tends to break your tailbone as well, because it kind of has to move the baby out. So that's something else. I went to see her two weeks after. I was like, I cannot sit. Is that normal? She was like, it's probably the episiotomy. Force yourself to sit. I don't know if you, I mean, you've broken bones, <laughs> so you would know. So many. But, uh, <laughs> but you cannot sit on a broken tailbone. It's not possible. It's not mm -mm. doable. So it just felt extremely unsupported. And when I went home a few weeks after, I saw a, a midwife who specialized in pelvic floor issues. She was like, oh, yeah. You had your, your tailbone broken. I was like, oh, yeah, I broke my tailbone when I was younger. I should have known. It was the exact same pain. But it's, again, we go back to what I told you in the beginning. I think the reason why I did what I did after is because I wanted women not to be, not to feel unsupported, not to go through that period and have no answers and be treated like, oh, fine, you had a bad birth. You're acting like a sissy. No. I'm just experiencing a lot of pain and you're not treating me for. Yeah, I think one of the things as well is when people don't understand or they do, don't listen and they don't give you concrete answers. It's like, this isn't working. Something's wrong. I know. Can you help me? And they have no solutions or answers or not, a, not any of the investigative like, okay, I hear you. Let's see. Let me take you on this exploration so we can find out what's wrong. So I think when the medical community doesn't do that, then it, there's, there's this sense of like, well, I'm doing this on my own. I have to find out what's wrong yeah, with me on my exactly own. That's exactly what happened. And the, yeah, mm. you're fighting against a machine. It's tough. Mm. I know. <laughs> mm. no, I'm sure, uh, Keith, uh, you probably experienced something like that if you end ever had any rehab done or maybe with some <laughs> clients <laughs> the people that the medical community aren't really but that that you have to create knowledge i mean you have to get knowledgeable because nobody's helping you <clears throat> because you don't know who to go to to be helped. yeah it's one of those ones where uh it's kind of a tightrope walking from a, from a, a not to not to dispute what you're saying, because I totally agree that sometimes the doctors and, and physios and will just go, look, I've seen this a million times. This is routine. You've gone on Google. You've seen something else. It's not that. It's this. And then they find out, oh, it was that. Do you know? Okay. So And I didn't go down that route. I, that definitely happens. Um, and I, I, I mean, it's all about the uh, what's like due diligence, you know, by the doctor. If if there is something that comes to light, speak to the patient about it, because what you could also do is just reduce your stress levels and anxiety by addressing it, even if it's a gestural address. You know, okay, so okay, I we have to do these ten things. You seem to be really stressed over this other thing, so let me just talk to you about that. Maybe educate you, maybe do the tests, then show you your anxiety level goes down, and then all the other 10 tests become much more productive because you're dealing with a patient who's calm and relaxed and is, isn't actually buying into your process because they know that you as the doctor has their interest at heart. Yeah, I think it's that sense of... 
like being with the doctor that cares. Yeah. You want to be with someone that actually cares and isn't like, oh, I got to go. I got my next appointment. Or yeah, I can't believe the, the lady went to lunch. Yeah. There should be like a, you don't go to lunch. <laughs> I realized afterwards. There should be a rule. You, just, I, you don't get your I lunch. realized afterwards, but I think she thought, oh, she had an epidural. She won't feel this, the urge to push, but I hadn't felt, the, I mean, the epidural hadn't worked on me. So I could feel everything. <laughs> so I think there's that moment in birth when you really feel that you're ready. Um, and and she thought I wouldn't feel that because of the drugs. But there, there should be surely, a, even if she's going to, not, not lunch, even if she has an emergency, she should at least come to your bedside and say, hey, look, this is happening. How are you? Clear, clear, clear. All right, I must go and do this. No, she said, um, oh, you're almost, you're at 10 first. She said, you're at 10 centimeters. Uh, um, so I was like, okay. So I was happy. I was like, finally. Um, and she was like, fine. So um, I'll come back in an hour. And we'll push then. And it, I knew at, when, if you're at 10, you get to push, finally. Yeah. So I was like, why? She was like, yeah, you're almost at 10. Okay. <laughs> I have I have a question for you. Did you yeah. give birth here in the yeah. UAE? Yeah. So mm. I'm... Am I going to have my second one here? No. No. <laughs> and I, I can tell you right now, whenever, and this is not to discredit the medical community here, and, but and I think... And they are great. They are. Gynecologists and physios, and luckily I met them after. It took mm. me a while, but I did. So, so we don't want to say we hate medical. Yeah, of course. Like, I think that's not what we're saying. What I've discovered through like my whole process is that I feel like whenever I went back to Australia, the the quality of care is different, and it has nothing to do with training. It has to do with client patient relationship. That aspect of the medical community is so undeveloped here. It's almost there's this is what I felt personally. There's this uh, sense of I'm the doctor, you're the patient. I know you don't. Um, I'm going to do this. And there's very little relationship where you're explained and talked to and you're taken into the process and participating in that. Whereas I found when I was at home, I always had people that were, okay, Caroline, we're going to do this right now. Do you feel comfortable with this? I'm going to talk you through this procedure. This is what's happening. So we're going to do A, B and C, and then you're going to feel A, B and C. If you're not comfortable with it, we'll do something else. So there was this whole like, oh, I'm a part of this journey as opposed to <laughs> this very separated doctor-patient relationship. That's just my experience. Uh, Did no, you find that? Uh, yeah, of course, absolutely. I would even go um, further. I would even say that I think sometimes um, people are annoyed with people who know stuff. Like I, I, if you go to a physio and you tell them, I think here my ligament, blah, 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 like uh, my VMO has, I don't know, whatever issue. Can you train this? Can you train that? They're going to, they don't like it. And I could tell that that midwife actually didn't like the fact that I wanted an, no drugs, that I almost, I almost felt, I could be completely paranoid about this, but a few women have told me the same thing. I almost felt like she, she, I was bothering her in her job you know I was not giving her what she expected from me and I was really uncomfortable and going back to what Keith um, said about addressing the problem as um, and, and making it less anxiety um, yeah like not generating anxiety on the contrary helping you um, yeah helping you is not the only thing that you expect from um, from the medical staff when you you know your anatomy and you feel your body. I think it's also, you want to feel empowered 
and through birth that's something important and i think when you're not listened to mm-hmm. you cannot be empowered and i think um if you go to a doctor and you in in your they have their hands and the most Im- intimate part of your body and you tell them and you start crying from pain because of a spasm and they tell you oh you've been too traumatized dear <laughs> she's like it's belittling woman it's mm. belittling and and it's just it's just so what you're doing is terrible it's not the trauma has its impact of course but there's something that's not functioning if releasing a muscle causes causes that much pain and you should listen to that and i think it's not just addressing an issue it's listening to what the patient has to say even if what the patient has to say is what they read on google you're right in that case it's addressing <laughs> the anxiety but in, in if sometimes they have a symptom that is the key yeah. to identify yeah, yeah, yeah. what the issue is yeah. and i didn't and mean it to sound like that oh, when no, no, i no, said no, it no no but it didn't sound bad i i and i think with people who, are, who don't really know and Google stuff way too much, it is something important to do, like to understand where they come from. But in any case, there's that listening part of the client-patient relationship that is lost in the UAE. Um, and I, I don't know if it's because some people come from so many different places and um, are quite challenged or, or f- I mean, t- to be honest, I've met people who didn't have the right skills for, for the for the job here clearly um but I, I don't know i find that it's something that a lot of people experience here and with not just with birth i mean with many things like when i had a, when i started my teacher training um i have very lax ligaments probably from my practice and also physiologically that's just the way it is you said you're a gymnast growing yeah, up yeah growing yeah. up arrhythmic so very like Bendy putting you between yeah. putting putting you between two um, chairs. chairs and asking you to split so that was my Standard. background yeah. <laughs> yeah. and having people sit on me when i did that so um it was just uh, it was just the way my ligaments were and so when I started my training, I think one teacher loaded me too much. And, it, and, and it's not just in the medical community that there are issues with skills. I really think in our profession there are, uh, there are um, problems like that. So she loaded me too much. And then my, I think my, my ligaments didn't enjoy that. So I went for rehab. And um, the rehab I was offered is, oh, strengthen your VMO no attention to my glutes, no attention to anything else, but five sessions are just lifting my legs, which is helpful, don't get me wrong, but um, she would just put some, some how do you call them, electrodes? Yeah. yeah? And uh, leave me for half an hour. And she, I could tell that I was more competent <laughs> than she was, you know, and I, I just feel like, of course, if you don't really know what you're doing, you're not gonna wanna, you're, you're, you're not gonna want your authority challenged by a patient as opposed to when you really are on top of things like my current woman's health physio I call her the pelvic floor Sherlock Holmes because you get there you've got the most complex issue weird symptoms after two minutes she was like oh this is so straightforward your obturator is contracted she's here in Dubai yeah what's her name Um, Marilyn Lopez cool She's uh, she's wonderful. Um, Is she at the osteopathic health yeah. center? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I know. I mean, she's just yeah. Honestly, she's really good. We um, contacted her a while ago to do a talk. Um, mm-hmm. I'll talk to her. Amazing. So yeah, so just your your little boy's now. He's okay. He was born okay. Yeah, through the birth. he's perfect. He was born fine. Uh, we checked his head with an osteopath. Everything was fine. Um, we, we were very lucky, given how quick the procedure was. Uh, I actually have a client who lost an eye. I mean, 
lost sight in one eye uh, when she was born a few, quite a few years ago uh, with forceps. So, um, so yeah, no, he's absolutely fine, but he still had to have sur- surgery when he was six weeks old because he had a cleft. Okay. And uh, during the pregnancy, we weren't sure he was going to be normal. So luckily, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Functioning wise, everything's fine. Oh, he's such a great mover. Awesome. <laughs> he's a dancing baby. <laughs> no, he's cool. Yeah. Amazing. That's really good to hear. Yeah. Good to hear. And I'm sure the stress of that compounded with your recovery and then being really stressful about whether he was okay, all of that coming together. Uh, co- coming together. And also, even when everything goes well, these are stressful times, particularly the first time because um, babies are colicky, babies don't sleep. Um, but it's, it's just a very dark period for a lot of moms some love it but i think those who love it have a lot of help a lot of support at home um unfortunately my mom left about two days after i gave birth so i couldn't walk i couldn't go to the bathroom normally and i had a crying baby so it, it was and i knew i had to fly so i think that that also delayed uh the recovery because uh, you're looking after another human being and they need you more than you need uh help so I think it, it uh, for a lot of moms, it's a struggle to make time for recovery. And uh, and you need to feel like you're going to the right people when you do. So, um, And then how I designed the course. Um, I think it first started with clients. Uh, I started designing prenatal workshops to educate women who really wanted to know what should I do? What should I avoid? How can I avoid issues? How can I avoid having a... A difficult birth um, through my practice and as you can imagine both of you after what I said I mean I, I emphasize breathing in difficult positions a lot uh, because I know how key it is to progress uh, through the whole dilation process um, and then so you would do breathing exercises with I do so this would be more as a, a prenatal yeah. program prenatal right? program yeah. so, so including breathing including so many things like um, but if we're going to talk about breathing so when you when you t- take an antenatal class with your partner they teach you the breathing between contractions the breathing during contractions but you're sitting on a comfy fitball doing that it doesn't prepare you for birth in my opinion what can prepare you for birth is creating some sort of contraction in your body so let's say i exhaust their triceps um doing some very simple moves some very safe um, moves and after a good two minutes of tiring the triceps i i ask them to do an isometric hold and to breathe and to practice their techniques and the hold of their pelvic floor no, on the triceps. contrary, they're holding the, 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 they're holding the tricep okay. contraction, but the pelvic floor needs to let go and the, the belly needs to let go. And it's quite the opposite okay. of Pilates breathing, yeah, which absolutely. is so hard to deconstruct for Pilates clients. And I think as a Pilates instructor, it is my duty to tell people and to teach them something else when what they're going to need on the day is a different kind of breathing. So I really make it clear in those workshops that there's the breathing that helps you support your back, um, our Pilates lateral breathing. Uh, There's the breathing that strengthens your TA, um, that helps you have a stable pelvis as much as possible with or without PSD. Um, And there's the breathing in the delivery room. And when I teach Pilates instructors, I actually deconstruct the Pilates breathing a lot because I know that they won't have any issues supporting their bags because they're good at what they do but I know they will struggle on the day to let go. Do you know what's interesting is that a lot of uh, 
a lot of I've read and heard that a lot of yoga and Pilates instructors when they get to having babies they actually have the opposite problem they don't know how to let go because they're so used to years and years of overtraining yeah. their um their pelvic floor muscles and keeping everything engaged yeah. and so it's totally the reverse I've had yoga instructor friends who've been doing handstands throughout their pregnancy and they get to labor and like nothing moves okay. everything's so tight it's, it's interesting to see that I don't know a lot of Pilates and yoga serious instructors. I mean, people who teach quite a lot um, who have had short labors. So you know how I told me, I told you my mom had a very easy, back then she wasn't sporty. So her first labor was four hours. She told me she pushed Mm. twice. And so I was like, what's the main difference? I was like, I teach Pilates this many hours a week. And and as much, don't get me wrong, I love Pilates for so many reasons. And I really think it helps people get a great posture, particularly for after birth, like opening the chest, supporting their back. So the strengthening component is very important, but strengthening is not tightening. And, I, and if there are instructors who are listening to us and who say tighten your pelvic floor in class, please stop doing that mm. <laughs> because tightening is not strengthening. And I think an issue that a lot of women have, a lot of men actually have these days are that they have tightness everywhere. And because this is such an intimate area, we do not go and do um, muscular release as easily, particularly before having a child. You're, when I was told you need to do um, massages, internal massages, honestly, I, I tried once. It was so tight. I was like, where do I go? What do I do? I didn't know. So that, that I think that's when people like Marilyn come into play. I send a lot of my a lot of my clients to people like Marilyn, women's health physios who know what they are doing. And I say, she's going to show you how to do that internal massage and you're going to have a better birth for it because you'll be ready. But you have to educate people. So I think it all started when I I realized that in an hour, in 55 minutes, I couldn't educate people and they were craving that knowledge. So I created the workshops. They worked really well. All my moms had, I wouldn't say easy experiences. Sometimes they had cesareans, emergency C-sections, but they, they felt empowered through it which made a whole difference. And more supportive as well, I'm and sure, exactly before and, and after they knew that they could come and talk to you and, and exactly share an experience oh, with you. Exactly, I think. I mean, I hope. I hope that's how they feel. So I'm curious, um, for for Pilates instructors as part of your course, what do you teach uh, for them to be mindful? What are some of the take-home messages that they can take for everyone listening? If you're a Pilates instructor and you're going through a prenatal program, what are things to be mindful so of? for a prenatal program, I would – Really, there are a few things I would I would work on specifically or deconstruct, like we said, so that that issue of breathing that we've extensively discussed, and then uh, the mobility of the thigh bone in the hip joint. Like I, I find that a lot of Pilates instructors were originally dancers or have a very externally oriented um, external Stance. rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Pilates V that to be honest create nowadays creates a lot of sij dysfunction sciatic pain um the other day i was in a class where the lady um, who's an influencer was very focused on that external rotation and honestly i had pain for three days because i don't need that i need to rotate in more or at least work in parallel in a parallel stance so i would really tell them it's okay to do external rotation but don't forget that the pelvic floor attaches to bones and you need to move 
by moving the femurs, you are going to move the sit bones. So you're going to stretch that pelvic floor. So don't, yeah, that's something I would encourage a lot and that I encourage a lot for my moms, the medial rotation and the, mostly the mobility. Yeah. I know a lot of a lot of trainings these days talk about particularly when you're in extension to be medially not medially rotated but toes together heels apart yeah. as opposed to that classical Just external rotation sacrum. where yeah, yeah yeah for the sacrum and that particular reason what else would you encourage people to be mindful of uh, to be mindful of I mean I think most instructors know the basic that you shouldn't um you shouldn't work in in thoracic flexion too much um but it's I would really encourage them to get more knowledgeable and to, because um, that will help them be creative. Uh, what, something that I do in my pre and postnatal course is that I, I tell them I'm not going to give you ready made recipes. I mean, we're going to do a class together, but I want you to become independent and confident. I think two things that you see when, I think I told you about it, with uh, instructors is either they get bored when they teach prenatal Pilates because they're, they're scared. Um, no, they, no, they're either scared or bored. They can get scared, so they won't make you do anything but footwork on a wedge and sideline glutes. And it's great stuff, but it gets difficult and boring for an instructor and boring for the client. Or they'll, they just won't be knowledgeable enough and they'll feel really scared and they'll be very limited. And in both instances, the woman doesn't get the most of their prenatal experience. And I really believe it's a time for, uh, for clients to explore their body, to feel confident through it, to stay strong. So yeah, I would encourage them not to be too scared, to just read enough and learn enough that they can guide clients. There's also an ethical aspect uh, to, the, to the course where I tell them, I mean, I try to instill in them the idea that um, you have limitations as an instructor. What and what would some of those limitations be, particularly physically? Physically, like yeah. So, so what you would you not check if a pelvic floor is functioning well? Yeah, so that's <laughs> no, but you cannot. You can check if the transverse is working well, and it would give you a cue because they're so intrinsically related as to whether or not the pelvic floor is doing what it has to do. So if you're asking them to release that pelvic floor, you're you're giving them imagery to do that, but you see that the TA is super engaged, you know that they're not completely relaxed, but that's how far, um, as far as it goes. And when I, I teach pelvic floor workshops, but sometimes women are like, should I do this, should I do that? I'm like, if it's a bit more of a complicated issue, I'm not good i can go in and check if you're if you're having that problem because you're tight if you're having that problem because you're not strong enough if you're having that problem because you have an avulsion and avulsion is what we talked about what happened to me the muscle that's disinserted and it's between 13 percent and 36 percent of women mm, that's how that's badly diagnosed it is so it's quite a lot of women who have had an a vaginal birth Anyway, I keep going on a tangent, so please bring <laughs> <laughs> back on track. But yeah, I think that's something I would encourage them to do, mm. just educate themselves. And if we move into Post. postnatal yeah. care, what are some so of the, the so take home? Some of the things to take, so I think one of the reasons why the, the training I've created is a bit different from the, the ones that I attended, is that I, I found that the the thing that you will hear the most from clients who are expecting is when can I go back into exercise? And A, it really varies from one woman to another, um, not just because of genetics, but because of that birth, um, the, the birth they're going to go through and you have no idea how it's going to go. So you really need to tell them 
it, once you've had your, your baby, I can tell you that. But there's also something else um, that I cover in the training that is the stages of the recovery. Um, so I divide things into three main stages. Um, but those three, three phases are going to be very different from one wo woman to another. And you need to build up to them. So you can't just say, hey, you had a cesarean, please come back after three months. I mean, it is true that if they had a um, not unplanned cesarean, you want them to wait. But there are things that they can do that's breathing based to make that postpartum training more effective and, uh, um, and to make it a quicker recovery and vice versa. I mean, like some, some women who had a vaginal birth with instruments shouldn't come to you after six weeks. Nothing is ready then. Uh, quite naturally, particularly known. episiotomies, episiotomies, mm -hmm. um, and th that's one of that's where you have to be really careful as an instructor. Um, it's better to turn down a client than to hurt them. And in the, I've really, I think what I cover in the training is what are the major birth-related complications. Can we just backtrack? I want to go yeah. into the, some of the phases and then ask yeah. you about some of sure. the complications. Um, so the phases, the first one is the one, in my opinion, where you're not going to see your your client much unless you've really built a relationship. So I have a, a client in India at the moment and I, I, I told her before, this is the, the small things you can do. So let's say to close that pubic symphysis, if everything is fine in your pelvic floor, she had a planned cesarean, so she can definitely do some squeezes. Um, the TRA breathing for her, she's gonna have to wait a little bit longer as the tissue heals. Um, so things like that that are very small and that unless you've met the client before, you won't get to do. Uh, that's usually from two weeks to about six, eight weeks. Uh, and then you've got phase two, that is usually the longest. Um, phase two is when you transition women back into tabletop. Uh, I mean, in according to the to the course, that's how I structured it. So, so for everyone who's listening, tabletop is basically when you're yeah, lying down yeah, on your back you. and you have your legs uh, in a tabletop <laughs> position. So it's 90 degrees at the knees degrees. and hips. So both legs are, are, are in the air. And um, I think something that is really hard, f particularly for athletic women to realize is that this is a challenge after a baby because the, 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 abdominals, m the abdominals have stretched so much and the pelvic floor is not supporting you and your hips are still quite, um, they're under the influence of relaxin, particularly for breastfeeding women. So... How long in your experience does relaxin take to... <sighs> so they say in the books, they say five months if they're breastfeeding. I've had exp like I had five months if they're breastfeeding yeah yeah i've had a lot longer than that it depends on how lax people how um it depends on their biology really and i had a client who just stopped breastfeeding she her baby's nine months now and we finally got to tabletop and i'm sure it's related because because if you're really lax in your ligaments, it's really hard to find the support in your abs and in your glutes to anchor those hips. Um, so to and if yeah. women breastfeed or not, it changes that okay. too. It does, mm -hmm. because then the relaxing um, uh, exits your body earlier. Sooner, if you're not yeah, breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. okay. Sooner, yeah. definitely. So uh, something that is common for us to treat is diastasis recti. Um, so the separation in the abs. Women worry about it aesthetically mostly, but it's great that they worry about it aesthetically because it's involved in continence. So 
particularly if you've had a difficult, um, if you've had episiotomies or a vaginal birth in general, the pelvic floor is sometimes so traumatized that the, the, the muscles don't function and don't support the organs. So your main way of supporting yourself is through your abdominals. And everything we do to close the diastasis is related to strengthening the deep abdominals. So um, yeah, that's, that's all the things that we do at the, in that phase two. We focus on rebuilding the abdominals in a way that allows le- m- women to have body weight kind of load. Um, and then in that phase three, it's transitioning them so they can one day leave you and go to back to mm-hmm. their normal exercise. And that's more lumbar flexion through with good breathing good engagement before even thinking of um, thoracic flexions that's more and of course starting to add very small load so wrist weights ankle weights Um, in the phase two i I build glutes quite a bit as well Mm. particularly glutes to build a lot more support in the pelvis my my main concern is stability uh and yeah stability at that stage and going into some of the you were, you were mentioning some of the complications that you look at yeah I look at the complications because I think if you were to treat someone with you I mean you you had an accident <laughs> people would want to know what exactly broke mm. where when what kind of pain you experienced after they would ask right um, I think if you do not know what a vacuum is or what a cesarean is a little bit more in depth it it doesn't mean you have to become a surgeon but how can you treat the fascia how can you treat them how can you work on the neuromuscular response and i think after a baby a lot has to do with the nerve i mean with the way the brain doesn't want to hear from from the body from what's going on in those areas like i treated someone who had a very traumatic emergency cesarean at six and a half months 11 years ago and Chloe was telling me, I'm str- Chloe is the owner of Pilates Academy. She was telling me, I'm struggling. Can you do something? She's not feeling her transfers. And, um, and through breathing and contact and um, touch and sensory. Yeah, sensory stimulation. Exactly. Mm. Sensory stimulation. Um, after two minutes, she, she was like, oh, I feel something. 11 years. So it's, you really cannot forget that this is, even when everything goes well, um, if there's a procedure, if there's a cut, the, it doesn't go well for the body itself. So it's actually easier with people who had PTSD like I did because we know there was a trauma. So we know we need to work on the nervous system. But with someone who comes in, was numb, had a forceps but didn't realize, you're not going to think, oh, maybe she's not connecting her pelvic floor. And that's usually when you send them to a woman's health physio. So, yeah, in that postnatal part of the training, that's a lot of what we do, a lot of diastasis, recti, rehab. And mostly what I want to emphasize on is trainers, um, build it up because you could trigger a prolapse, you could trigger incontinence if you were not doing or hernia. If you're not gentle. Yeah. Be gentle and also, if you, particularly for those who haven't had uh, children, it's really hard to grasp what a diastasis is. It's really difficult to imagine. It's a really strange feeling in the body. I've had many injuries, but it was, it's it was strange. So it's you don't really know what you need to ask about if they're feeling a pull in the center of the abs. If they are, they're not connecting enough to add load. 
Um, and you need to create that crea the, to create the connection first and foremost. So we do a lot of checking for weak abdominal engagement um, on top of learning how to check for diastasis itself. Um, and I think I try to cover the emotional component of it all and the, the sleep deprivation and how that too affects the nervous system and the biology uh, and the physiology. So we try to cover all that in two days, which mm. is challenging. It's a lot <laughs> of information. <laughs> but for actual women who have had children and who are not trainers, I've created this five-session program. That, and that's how I think trainers started coming to me and saying, Marianne, could you train me? Because after sometimes after five sessions, we have a, reductin, a reduction in 1.5 centimeters in only two weeks. Um, so usually for your audience, um, before pregnancy, the tendon, the linear alba is about 1.5 centimeters. You feel free to disagree, Keith, uh, uh, about this is that. Like <laughs> but you're the anatomy king. Um, <laughs> it's all different ways. <laughs> and after a birth, like people often focus on two fingers. I don't know why that is, but it's really two centimeters. Um, and that would be about one finger um, if you were to place because you cannot feel the whole tendon. So we want to get that woman back to two things, the two centimeters if possible and the functionality. So let's say I punch someone in their belly, which I wouldn't do. <laughs> but imagine you're being punched in the belly. The muscle should naturally, as a reflex, protect you, protect your organs. And that's where we, we take them. Uh, but then after that program, they still have a bit of, let's say that program is to take them to, to phase three. There's still a bit of work to do after. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Keith, do you have any more? Um, <laughs> let me have a think. No. <laughs> I think we can... Where can people get in touch with you? Yeah. That's probably what the best. Um, so I have a very modest Instagram page because I teach a lot and I have a baby, but I do. It's called marian.coreconnect. And um, and they can also email me. My mm. uh, my email is at gmail gmail.com. Amazing. Cool. Yeah. Well, and if in. people wanted to attend your next course, when are you doing that next? Uh, we're doing that. So we haven't, uh, the, the next date is April, but we don't have the exact date. It will be one of those weekends. So Amazing. Those so we'll be, we'll be ready to share that when it's, when it's up. Amazing. Wonderful. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, Marianne, thank, thank you so you. much. So interesting. See you Bye, guys. Soon.